ChasingRoos.com. If you haven't been there yet, do you even listen to this podcast? Of course, it is the online store for international rugby league fans. We are proud of the stock we have on there. We've got some exciting things coming as well, like some USA Hawk stuff and some Filipino, new Filipino jerseys for their match against Brazil in a few weeks' time. We're really excited. Just had a guy, I won't name him, but some absolute champion who, of course, listens to the show. He just bought himself a Peru Rugby League jersey, along with a Netherlands Rugby League jersey, along with one of my favourites, the Cameroon jersey and a Ghana jersey. Absolute champion. He's going to be a lucky man. Um, yeah, wearing wearing some very unique kit around the place, around the gym, around the shops, wherever he wants. Uh, you can do it to chasingroos.com. And of course, as a listener of the show, you get your 10% discount. Just use the code what is up. One word, what is up. The same way I start the podcast every week is the same way we start our very first uh, discount code. So get 10% off, jump on chasingroos.com. Of course, I need to thank our man, Matty Haynes, absolute amazing supporter of this podcast. Check him out, matthaynesport.com.au. Uh, his logo designs, jersey designs, phenomenal also produces kit as well. If you need your kit designed, if you need it produced, let him know you are a kangaroo chaser. He'll give you 10% off his kit production as well. Uh, big thanks for your support, Maddie. Love having you on board as a sponsor this year, and we will keep giving you love. We know You know our fans love you as well. All right, guys, let's go on with the show. What is up, kangaroo chasers? Well... This week, Big T has recorded an incredible conversation with Jake Duke. Jake's a sideline commentator for Fox Sports. You may know of him. Uh, he's a host of the incredible Refuse to Lose podcast as well and a proud Indigenous Australian. If you're a new listener, welcome. Normally, I'd recommend a similar episode from our back catalogue, uh, should you enjoy this one. The truth is, this interview is unlike any other we've recorded in the past. Still, if you like it, if you're first time here, please dive into some of the old episodes, and I hope you enjoy them as well. They're very different to what you'd be used to. If you're a regular kangaroo chaser, welcome back. How you doing? I know you're going to love this one, no doubt about it. And uh, with the NRL Indigenous round behind us, and during, of course, Reconciliation Week here in Australia, we thought it would be fitting to get an Indigenous perspective on the game on our podcast. It's a topic Big T and I have wanted to discuss for a while but we've been unsure of how to do so. You know, we're, we're two white dudes at the end of the day from Sydney. We didn't want to do it without sounding woke. So Biggest has done an incredible job here with this interview with Jake. It's one of his best. And um, look, I'll close the intro by saying I'm a proud Australian. This is the lucky country. Uh, but our lack of respect for our nation's first people, it's a little bit embarrassing to say the least. It's getting better though. And the National Rugby League is leading the way and the conversation as well. So we're proud to bring you this episode. Might be quite uh, interesting for, for some of you folk from around the world who do listen in to sort of get to understand a little more about our culture here in Oz. Let's get into it. Big T, great interview. Looking forward to listening to it again. I'm Michael Carboni. This is episode 116 of the Chasing Kangaroos podcast. <laughs>
Chasing Kangaroos, the podcast for international rugby league fans. Sitting patiently on the phone with me today is a shining light in the rugby league media landscape, a sports reporter on Australian TV, sideline reporter on Fox Sports, a podcast host, and a touch football tragic, Jake Duke. Welcome to Chasing Kangaroos, sir. Thank you very much for having me. It's an honour to be here. <laughs> okay. <laughs> let's, let's first talk about how you got into football. I know that uh, often on your podcast you talk about you and your brother. Is it Was it he and... and was it the competitiveness in the backyard that got you guys into football, or, or what was it? Uh, so it's probably our old man. Um, so we have a, a bit of uh, rugby league pedigree in our family. It's my uncle Phil. Uh, Phil Duke played State of Origin. Uh, oh, wow. Yeah, so he played uh, in 1982, I think. Um, it was a kind of famous moment where uh, I think Phil Sigsworth chucked the ball to him in the end goal um, and it went behind Uncle Phil and, and Wally Lewis dived on it to score. Um, and it was uh, the one game he ever played, but he, he was, I think he was one of the first players to ever be picked out of the bush. He, he wasn't playing in the NRL at the time and was picked for the New South Wales side. Wow. Um, yeah, so rugby league has run in my family a lot. My dad obviously played with Michael Phil his whole life, grew up in Moree, played for the Moree Boomerangs. Um, you know, just rugby league has just been something we were born into from from a young age. Um, and, yeah, so me and my brother played. I was twice the footballer he was, despite what he might tell you. <laughs> uh, despite him going on and playing, like, you know, Q Cup for Burley and Titans on the 20s and stuff. But oh, I still I still smoked him. I never, I never lost a backyard match. Um, yeah, but, no, so I obviously played footy my whole life. Um, played at the Burley Bears on the Gold Coast and, um, yeah, just lacked uh, just that tiny thing they call enough talent to make it as a footballer. Um, (laughs) So, no, I always wanted to be – always wanted to be involved in sport, love sport, uh, and I can talk underwater with a mouthful of concrete. So I thought, well, what are the two? If you could put them together, it's to be a sports broadcaster. So that's always been uh, my dream. So that's how I got into where I am now. Just um, before we move off that, is that probably your earliest memory? Do you remember watching Uncle Phil doing that or is that a story that you've heard so many times now? That No, I, I wasn't a, even born. I wasn't yeah, born. Right. No, it happened in 1982, <laughs> so I wasn't born until 1993. Um, yeah, right. No, my earliest memory of footy, oh, you know what? I think my, one of my earliest, earliest memories of footy would have been early 2000s, uh, the Penrith Panthers uh, going on to win the comp. I, I, I probably yeah. remember things before that, but the, the, the thing that stands out to me the most is that uh, I loved Ryan Girdley. He was my favourite player growing up. And also, uh, you know, the Indigenous boys in that Panthers team, Reese Wesser, Preston Campbell. Um, but, yeah, I think my earliest memory of just with the NRL and stuff was is 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 that, uh, and and I probably would have been what ten then. But then I can remember kind of running around and playing footy for for Burley when I was a kid, and 
you know, I had a bit of, I had a bit of pace back then. I don't know what happened to it, but um, <laughs> yeah, that, 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 they'd be my, my fairly, uh, earliest football memories. And am I right in knowing that you're a Manly fan now though? Oh, I'm not a, you know what? I'm not a really a fan per se of any team anymore. Uh, I was a news reporter for eight or nine years and that kind of kills off being a fan for you. Mm. Uh, don't get me wrong. I love watching the game. Um, but in terms of actually being a supporter of a team, uh, no, I don't actually – I kind of go for whoever makes my job easier, to be honest. So <laughs> if I want to interview a certain player after the game, I go for his team because I know that he'll be in a better mood if he wins. That's yeah, basically okay. uh, where it comes from, to be honest. I, I, I don't have any particular loyalty anymore. Um and I kind of, I, I kind of flip flopped as a kid. As I said, like my earliest memories, I was a, I loved the Panthers. Um, but then living on the Gold Coast, the Titans came in. Mm. Uh, I, I loved the Titans as well. And again, Preston Campbell kind of moved uh, to the Titans, and Scotty Prince was there. And, um, and but then always had a soft spot for South Sydney. My whole dad's side of the family are massive South Sydney fans, as most, you know, a lot of Indigenous uh, people are, a big South Sydney fans. So. You know, if I was to pick three teams that have probably stood out for me over my life, it'd be those three. But again, I I just go for whoever makes my job easier, to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> You're sounding very much like Yvonne Sampson. I had the pleasure of asking <laughs> answering, uh, asking her that once. But she she did, though, um, claim that she was die-in-the-wool Queensland fan, though, when it came to State of Origin. So I'm assuming you still, although you, you might have those edgings during interview week to week, do, is a are you also a Queenslander when it comes to heart? When, when I'm, I'm actually not. I'm actually yeah. not. So I was born in. Like I, I was born in Moree, yeah. So I, uh, <laughs> I have been a staunch New South Wales supporter my whole Brilliant. life. Brilliant. Uh, yes. So I and yes, that is the one thing I still really care about: the state <laughs> of origin, uh, especially because I grew up in Queensland. And my whole basic high schooling life from uh, what, when I go to high school in 2006 to yeah. 2010. Oh, no. You can imagine Queensland, mm. that's when the run started and they, ran, they won the whole way through my whole high schooling life. So imagine being a New South Wales supporter in a Queensland school while Queensland <laughs> keep winning. It was torture. So it only strengthened my hate of Queensland, to be honest. Well, beautiful. Um, yeah. And has it got? Has it changed much? Uh, it, obviously, your your love and affection for teams you've said has changed as you've um, got deeper into your career. Have you had an opportunity yet to to uh, cover a state of origin game yet? Uh, as a as a journalist, no, uh, I actually haven't covered a state of origin only because. Um, generally, state of origin when I worked at Channel Nine was covered by. Uh, you know, the senior journos, your Danny right. Wilders, your Neil Breens, you know. So I kind of never actually went to a state of origin in a working capacity. I've been, as a fan, uh, I've worked at grand finals. I've worked at basically every other game, but I haven't worked at a state of origin, which, again, I'm happy to not work at. And uh, at the moment, Fox obviously don't have the rights to the state of origin, so... I won't be working this year, uh, so I am. I do look forward to just actually watching State of Origin as a fan. It's the uh, it's the one thing I still probably let, have left as a fan. So <laughs> I'm happy to not work at it as long as possible. So let's talk now about your current role, then, uh, Duke. It's you, you've moved from Channel Nine to Fox. You've got um, 
you're at every other game, it feels like, um, at the moment. Voss is constantly calling down to you on the sideline. Um, how did that come about? Uh, so, again, I was uh, a, bit of, a bit of luck, I think, but I was working for nine for, you know, eight or nine years as a, as a news reporter um, and doing some stuff with the Sunday footy show and, and, and things when I could with Whitewater Sports. Um, but basically, uh, the head of Fox Sports, Steve Crawley, a guy that worked at Nine for years and is kind of one of the, the gurus of sports television uh, producing, has moved over to Fox and basically created Fox League into what it is now. Mm. Uh, he just rang me out of the blue uh, in November last year, December last year, and basically offered me my job now. Um, and, and with these things, you always think, oh, you know, He's offering a chance to be sideline, offering a chance to, to learn how to host and, and do NRL tonight. And, um, and you know, it all sounded too good to be true, to be honest. Um, mm. Which, but, you know, after meeting with him and meeting with some of the guys at Fox, I was like, yeah, it was kind of a no-brainer. The opportunity was just too good. It's what I've always wanted to do was, was work and be a part of the coverage and be a sports broadcaster. Um so yeah, it, it was. It all happened very quickly, and you know, by February or whatever, I was, I was at, uh, I was at Fox. Unbelievable. And so, would that be the first game that you would have then done with them? Was that the Indigenous All Stars game? No. So I didn't do All Stars. I, I literally, okay. I finished with Channel Nine. So even I'd given my notice at nine and stuff, but they were really great about me leaving, and they're really great about. Um, they they understood why I was leaving. Um, right. You know, it wasn't uh, hostile or anything like that. It was they they understood that you know they just couldn't offer that kind of opportunity. Um, so they were really great about it. So I stayed on at nine, and then um, my bosses said, "Hey, do you?" It was always planned that I would go and cover the All Stars for nine, just in a in a in a news capacity, and. They said, hey, do you still want to go? And I was like, I was surprised by it, but I was like, yeah, I'd love to. Like, you know, like all my family were going up anyway. It's, you know, it's the Indigenous All-Stars game. Like, you know, we're all proud uh, Indigenous people, so we all try to go whenever we can. Um, So I actually worked for nine. Basically, the day of the All-Stars game, the Sunday, the next day was my last day working for Channel 9. Wow. I, I had one day off, and then I went to Fox on the Tuesday, I think. So... Unbelievable. Uh, yeah, it happened very quick, as I said. And I love that that, that, that cultural celebration um, that, that starts our season is also the bookmark that kind of is the setting, the setting of your career and the starting of the next one. That's unreal. Um, <laughs> I never thought about it that way, but yeah, you're right. The, um, thinking of what you've done so far at Fox, what's the kind of thing that jumps out of you when I say what, what have you enjoyed about it? What's something that's just visually jumped to, to mind now? What's something you really enjoy about that role? I just think the opportunity to be at the games, you know, and, and, and be a part of broadcasting football into people's lounge room is, is uh, something I, I've, I kind of think about sometimes and I go, I can't believe that I'm <laughs> on this commentary team. And, and, and also to look around and, and, you know, not many people that haven't played the game at a professional level get the chance to do that. Um, you know, like I look around at some of the people that I work with, like, you know, Mal Meninga, Cooper Cronk, you know, like legends of the game, um, Corey Parker, 
Yeah, just just absolute McEnnis and Brandy. You know, the, the list goes on. Mm. Um, and then you've got little old me who somehow weaseled his way into it <laughs> and gets to sit there and 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 talk about footy, uh, something he's loved his whole life. Honestly, yeah, that that to me, being there, being on the sideline, getting to contribute to how people digest the sport is is something uh, you know I don't take for granted and it's kind of, it's not lost on me but it's it's pretty surreal now look you, you're playing yourself down because anyone who's seen your face knows you've got a face for TV you've obviously got a very handsome voice and and the first time I heard about you was with a podcast called refuse to lose so you, this podcast is phenomenal I think the first episode I, I heard of it um, I think it was with James Roberts and it was I wouldn't say groundbreaking I'm trying to think of a better superlative it, it was certainly something I'd never heard before in that I can I consume a huge amount of rugby league uh, media, particularly through podcasts, and I was about two-thirds of that way through that episode and paused to just tell anyone in my world to, that they also need to start listening to that. Now, that is purely because of how you spoke with James. I know you had a private, you have a personal relationship with him, but the other episodes that you've done really show that you're in the best spot um, at the moment. You should be talking to football people because that, that love for football brings that out in people. Have you got much feedback other than me constantly telling you through your DMs or, or, or Twitter or whatever that these are great, that you're also getting that feedback from other people? Yeah, we, we've had a lot of feedback um, on people that have listened to it. Uh, I guess the, the biggest thing is just trying to share it to as many people as possible. And, and I guess when people listen, they, they do like it, which is really, really lovely to hear. Um, but yeah, we're just we're still building it. We we know that. But I guess the thing that why we started it was because growing up an Indigenous man, and 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 I said growing up around a lot of footballers, uh, like James and I were good mates. So I went to a big rugby league school in Palm Beach, coming on the Gold Coast. Like okay. um, just being around, especially a lot of Indigenous footballers, um, we kind of just like there's so many great stories. These guys have such great stories that are inspiring and and for someone like james who's been one of my best mates since we were about eight or nine years old i used to just get so frustrated with the coverage he'd get in the media and i worked in the media and i'd get mm. frustrated because people would think they just see you know james roberts gets uh you know he's drunk at a party and and um oh, and you'd see people going oh this bloke at it again he's he's a he's a stuff up he's this and that and I, it used to annoy me so much because I was like, I know James's story and I know what he's been through. And if him being drunk at a party is the worst thing, <laughs> like, like you, you've got no idea. And I think Wayne Bennett summed it up uh, once when he said, James's greatest victory is that he's not rotting away in a jail cell somewhere or six feet underground dead because mm. he just had what he went through. It was just so... Yeah, such a tough upbringing as a kid to be where he is now. And I just wanted to share that story and I'd always wanted to tell James a story and it took me forever to kind of convince him to do it because he's not really a guy that talks out loud, but I just thought people would take a lot from hearing his story. Um, and I know that a lot of people have had similar upbringings, tough, you know, life situations. And to hear it from a guy that's suddenly playing on the on the a professional stage and has made something of himself they might take a lot from that and go, oh, you know, I can do what I want to achieve and stuff. So that was the idea behind the podcast that, you know, they refused to lose James, you know, is just 
just kept going despite the adversity thrown at him in life. And so we started with that and then kind of went from there, um, kind of getting on people we knew had had some hardship or some turmoil or some uh, some things in their life that they needed to overcome. And, and then also we thought, um, you know, there's also guys that do a lot of great stuff uh, behind the scenes that, that should be highlighted that, um, because I always think sport is actually a, a fantastic level of, of the playing field. Like, not only does James, um, you know, that it, it provides an opportunity for people like James to break the cycle if they're athletically gifted, but also it allows these athletes a platform and an opportunity to then change the lives of others, right? Um, and and spread messages or do work that changes the lives of others. So we thought, well, why don't we get those people on, people that have those stories, but then also people that have, that do great things and it should be told more and people should know what they're up to. So, you know, it, it, it it's all about empowering and bettering other people. And, and, and obviously we do have an Indigenous focus, um, right. but we're not exclusively Indigenous. We just, anyone, you know, that has a story or something to share or can offer someone else, that's who we try to talk to. And athletes are people that people like to listen to so that's why we we went into the sports space and when you say where you're talking about you and your brother right yes my brother reese yeah. uh who i should uh i should give credit to because he <laughs> uh i just do the interviews um but he basically does everything else uh yeah. he cuts it edits it does all the social media does all the things that i am useless at um <laughs> i just i just i just talk that's it uh, now you, you you said that it does have a distinct indigenous voice. You also said that a uh, p- particular perspective. That's because of you and your brother and and a lot of your um, guests. Do you think that part of that is similar to James? That uh, it's quite challenging for a lot of people in that position to have that voice. That a lot of them feel voiceless or that, that they're not worth hearing that story. Or is there a reason why you think so many of those stories that you identified as needing to tell are often from people from an indigenous background? Well, just, I think, yeah, in a lot of ways, Indigenous people have been um, silenced and marginalised in this country on a, on a whole. I think that's no secret, and I think most people would agree with that, um, mm. you know, that that they do need a bit of a voice. And as I said, athletes are the kind of guys that have broken the mould. They've broken through because people, you know, that despite that they came from the disadvantage that, has been presented to Indigenous people in this country because of some of the horrible things that have happened in the past. Sport allows guys like James Roberts, guys like Latrell Mitchell to break through, mm. right? And, and and so then if they can then break through and then and tell their story, it's uplifting for others. But you're right. It, it, look, Indigenous people don't have as much of a voice as we probably should in this country considering you know, we've been here for who knows over sixty thousand yeah. years, like the oldest surviving culture on earth. Um, it's a it's a big problem that society as a whole is starting to tackle, which is good. You know, we're coming into Indigenous Round uh, this week in the NRL, which is um, does a, an amazing thing of 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 raising and and advocating for the Indigenous plight in this country. But obviously, it's still a long way to go. Uh, but yes. Uh, that was the kind of focus was to give a voice to a lot of, I guess, I guess the purpose was 
so many people wouldn't know. You know what I mean? So many people, if you didn't have yeah. an Indigenous friend or you, if you're a, a, a middle-class white person who grew up in suburban Brisbane, uh, Gold Coast, you might not know what certain other people have gone through in their lives and, mm. and, and you might not know many Indigenous people. You might not know what it's like to grow up in Moree or grow up in Kempsey or grow up somewhere else, but it can be very different, you know, and, and I think that was just what it is. It's just about getting people to listen to someone else's story and then, you know, when an issue like Australia Day comes up or an issue like the anthem or mm. people might be more willing to, to understand, oh, look, I listened to James Robertson's story, you know, I listened to the kind of disadvantage he faced as a kid. I understand that that came from decades and decades of yeah institutionalized institutionalized yeah. racism basically yeah. yeah and so I understand what he's fighting for. I understand what um, what these guys are talking about when they say they want just some recognition, some things to change because they lived it and and I think. We just wanted to give people a, a perspective from their heroes to say, oh, you know, I love watching him play footy and I've listened to his story and, oh, mate, I get it. I get it now. I'll listen to the way he grew up. I get why some of these things need to change and we need to talk about it more. Yeah, so you've got a bunch of episodes in a row where you have people like Blake Ferguson, Cody Walker, Josh Adokar, Preston Campbell all in a row. It's fantastic. Someone like Josh Adokar and Latrell Mitchell already are, are naturally amazing at, at – at getting people to listen to them and they're extremely brave enough to constantly tell everyone almost every week the horrible hardships that they're going through on social medias or, or things like that. But people like Cody Walker or James Roberts, even Preston Campbell, although it's from listening to your episode, Preston Campbell's been a, a, an incredible leader in his space for a while. We don't hear from those people as much. And so is there other key learnings that you've probably taken from doing this podcast that you've learned about First Nations peoples and, and football are the kind of key things that you've taken out of it since starting the podcast? I think the biggest thing I've taken out of it, um, you know, because I've obviously being a black fellow, growing up around black fellows my whole life, so right. I don't know if I've I've learned anything culturally in terms of like I, I I've been to Moray, I, I I was born in Moray, I know what it's like, I know what Kempsey's like, I know what these places are like, and they can be tough places to grow up. Um, I think the biggest thing I took from all those podcasts those guys you just mentioned is the resilience they show, mm. um, you know, to, to just to stand up and cop it and, and to just and put your neck on the line for something at all when you don't have to do it. You know what I mean? Like Latrell Mitchell, Josh Adekar, they don't have to do it. They, mm. they can just quite easily, it's tough enough being a first grade footballer and there's enough criticism with that. You don't need to be sticking your neck out and 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 treading on deep racial lines in this country. And, you know, like, so yeah. I think the thing that stood out for me most is the resilience of guys like Preston, guys like Luttrell, um, that have just taken this battle head on. You know, like, uh, I, I, and I'm coming on the back of those guys who are trying to do my own thing and spread my own message, but... They're the guys out there that take the brunt of it. You know, they take the the shit that no one should have to cop. Um, 
And so that their resilience and, and, and then just the resilience of our, uh, our people as a whole, you know, like uh, a lot of terrible things that happen to indigenous people in this country, but they're still here, still fighting, still, um, you know, trying to better ourselves and, 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 and be recognized and work towards a better future, uh, as a whole, um, you know, and, and, and not really just disappear, which is what, you know, certain people wanted at a time in our history, you know? Mm. The other thing, and mistake me if I'm wrong, I I hope I'm not misquoting him, but I'm under the impression as well that Preston Campbell in that episode said at one stage that you shouldn't show respect because someone else shows it to you. You should just show respect. And that has echoed in my almost every day um, since I heard it because it was such a powerful way of trying to live and and it gave such a window into exactly what you just talked about there and that kind of resilience of these people are giving me a huge amount of crap, but that doesn't mean that I now do it back. I, I be a better person every day. And, you know, that's just an incredible way to live. Yeah. That stuck with me too. I, I, I remember when he said that too, and I remember thinking that is a, a hell of a, a mindset to have and a, and a tough one to have yeah. at times because you can imagine anyone, like you just want to tell certain people to just shut up. You don't know what you're talking about or bite back. Um, but if anyone who's ever met Preston Campbell, it's just his character to a T. He's just the loveliest guy, um, a guy that will do anything for anyone and, um, you know, has been massive for me in my career. Uh, and just, yeah, uh, like the way he lives his life, I, I, I'm the same. I, I think I've tried and, and that's come into my head at different times when I've, mm. you know, been annoyed at someone or in an argument with someone or, you know, even read something that someone said, I just like, and my your immediate reaction is anger and you go, oh, you know, just kill them with kindness. Don't get annoyed. Just respect them. And if they don't respect you, that's their problem. But in time, they generally will. And, um, yeah, I've tried to I've tried to live like that too. But it can be hard. It takes <laughs> yeah. a certain type of person. <laughs> yeah, which is why he's an absolute leader in his field. Now, there's also another amazing statistic around constantly around Islanders and Indigenous Australians that are way disproportionate amount of Aboriginal Australians playing rugby league, particularly in the NRL. Do you think that'll trickle up to places like the media, where the, where the there isn't the disproportionateness isn't there yet? Well, I hope so. Um, you look around now, uh, even at Fox League, for example. Um, we're getting more and more Indigenous people involved in, in our broadcast. You've got Hannah uh, Hollis, myself, Yvonne Sampson, Gordy Tallis, uh, all Indigenous people kind of involved in, in our broadcast, uh, even when I was at nine, um, someone like Brooke Brony, who's on the Today Show now. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we're, we're starting to see more and more, hopefully, obviously, the guys like Stan Grant uh, were the real trailblazers in it. Um, yeah, so... I hope so. I hope so. I know that when I came to Fox, uh, Crawls was like, you know, I, I love the fact that you're Indigenous. It's something that we want to celebrate and, and, and they've been really supportive in um, the things I, I want to do in the Indigenous space and uh, we've got some, some great stuff coming out on, on Fox League uh, this week for Indigenous Round. Um, and you know, I've never had pushback or that's too political or that. Right. That's, yeah, it's it's... I think there's a big change, you know, like I think 10 years ago, that probably wouldn't have been the case. Um, but I think there's a big change and, and, and people are starting to now say that, you know, 
we should see black faces on TV. We should see people of other ethnicities on TV because that is what Australia is. It's not all just, you know, white people walking around, uh, for lack of a better word. Um, it's, it's, it's multicultural. It's, and we've also got the oldest surviving culture on earth and that's something we should celebrate and, and, you know, there should be indigenous voices in, in, in most or most of these programs and shows because half a lot of the time they're they're debating indigenous issues or they're talking yeah. about them and there's no one there that's indigenous so like i think hopefully we're starting to see a real shift in that as well i i mean you've nailed that perfectly because i remember a year maybe two three years ago when we were going through us the second iteration of of the anthem debate during state of origin um I was listening to a podcast, as I often do, and Hannah Hollis was a guest on it, and the way that she verbalised um, her particular stance on it, her perspective on it, completely changed. I was already pro, um, you know, changing it, but I have since hearing Hannah speak, I have also silently protested and haven't sung the anthem now for three years just because of the way that she worded it. And it, it, sometimes it just takes um, not, not just someone clearly articulating, but also hearing it from the source like that can can really make it even more powerful when someone's telling their story. And so, uh, I'm I'm assuming that's also what's what's happening in that and what you're saying there that we're seeing more and more people, um, getting that opportunity to, to not just um be what you know you've got to see it before you can be it, but also changing other people's perspectives on, on yeah. what's happening. And so, yeah. do you think sport? particularly rugby league specifically, has a big place in the greater reconciliation of our country? Uh, I think sport is maybe the most important, to be honest. Um, And and I'll tell you why. Because the most prominent people in Indigenous Australia, the most well-known, the most uh, identifiable to uh, non-Indigenous people are athletes, Mm. right? Um, You know, Unfortunately, we don't really have, a, I guess, a Nelson Mandela type figure or a Martin Luther King type figure or, a, you know, on that grand scale of yeah. pushing uh, the Indigenous agenda. And don't get me wrong, there are a lot of people that have done it over the years, but I think the, the, the most people that have the most cut through are athletes. I yeah. think people listen to them. Um, they hear what they say and because because they love them on the field they they are more willing to to sit down and listen um and i also think uh the way they do it is so so good you know like years ago guys like chock mundine they said things like this um but chock came at it from a, a different angle and i think uh that might have sometimes that has a, an opposite effect where you know if you if you're telling someone something or you, you're having a go at them, their automatic ref- defense mechanism is to push back and argue. And Chock was very, you know, he was a boxer. He was, he, he came forward at you. Like he was, and I think Chock style maybe sometimes turned people off from actually listening to his message. And his message was a lot of the things we're saying now. Chock was one of the first people to bring up the anthem. He was one of the first people to bring up Australia Day. But, you know, his confrontational nature turned people off a little bit at times and it was hard for him to get that message across. The way the guys are doing it now uh, with Cody and Latrell and, um, you know, some of the guys in the AFL, they're just doing what Hannah did, doing what I try to do, just articulate their message, um, you know, not not have a go at anyone, no, not, not saying, 
you know, we're not accusing anyone of, you know, specifically if you don't, if you don't like, if you like the anthem, we're not saying you're a racist. We're just saying, listen to why we don't like it. Yeah. Listen to what it means to us. And if you're not particularly fussed either way about Australia Day, if it's on January 26th, and most people aren't. That's the thing. That's the that's the crazy thing is that we try to get across like with these things is that most people don't care. Most people don't care that Australia Day is on January 26th. Most people don't even know why it's on January 26th. A lot of people don't know that it wasn't really an official public holiday until the 90s. You know, <laughs> right. people get attached to this idea that political correctness is trying to change things and it's really not like they just don't really care. But if you listen to an indigenous person and they tell them why and the pain and the hurt it caused that this day symbolizes the start of basically a genocide of our people, mm. then what, why does it matter to you? Like you're not attached. Yeah, yeah. Moving the day wouldn't bother you in the slightest. You'll still get your public holiday. It'll be on another day. And, but it also, it then makes, the people that are the original custodians of this land feel more welcome in their own country. Mm. It's kind of a no brainer to me. Like if it, you know what I mean? Like there's not yeah. really a great connection to January 26. The same with the anthem. It, it was God save the queen up until mm. a, a, God save the queen up until a certain point. I, I don't know the exact year it changed. I think it was in the eighties. It was yeah, in the eighties. Yeah, I think Bob so, Hawke did it. So it's the late eighties. So, you know what I mean? Like, there's, there's, this, there's, there's this idea that we're attached to these great things. We're not really. Um, they've changed before. They can change again. Um, it's just listen to why we, why they cause pain and hurt and just be open-minded to it and mm. listen. And I think you'll, you'll find that you'll probably agree. You're probably like, oh, that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> And, and, and then there's really no need to argue. There's no need. Like I always explain this to people that there's kind of two ends of every spectrum, right? There's the people down one end. Uh, and let's say there's, you know, uh, non there's the indigenous people down one end that are really angry about what's happened to indigenous people in this country. And they don't like white Australia and they never will. And they're just, they're hurt. Right. And then mm. down the other end, you've got, um, other people that will say, ah, oh, we should never change the date. We should never do this. You know, what are you talking about? It's all a load of crap. And they're people at the end of every spectrum. Every spectrum has either extremes and those people can yell at each other all they want. <laughs> right. But I think that does achieve nothing. The rest of us sit in the middle where we should be able to have rational conversations and move and change our opinions through time based on logic, reason, mm. uh, compassion, Emp yeah, empathy. empathy. Yeah. 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 So that's what I mean. Like the rest of us should look and not yell at each other and not, uh, you know, argue about it. It's about having a rational conversation. Like I've done with so many of my friends over the last, um, you know, 10 years. And look, and to be honest, like I was someone who grew up, I grew up in, on, on, in suburbia on the Gold Coast, you know, like, and so even like I was kind of uneducated for a long right. part of my life. When I was 12 or 13, I was out on Australia Day, you know, because I, I, I wasn't, 
taught enough about it. You know, your parents teach you some things, but you don't really, you know, and, and, and so much in school wasn't taught about some of the just atrocities uh, mm-hmm. that happened to Indigenous people. So I was uneducated, but then I took the time to listen, to learn, and now I understand. And I and I, so many of my friends now are doing the same thing. People my age are doing the same thing, learning, listening, and understanding. And you go to these marches, you go to the Change the Date march, you go to the Black Lives Matter march, you look around, and it's mostly people under the age of 40, and a lot of them are non-Indigenous and white. And it's because they're starting to listen and learn as well. Great. Okay. Because that was my that was where I was worried we were going to end up. Because before, when you're saying when you know people don't really care what the date is, that's probably almost just as upsetting that people don't care. Because really, we have a huge proportion of our population that are telling us that we should care, and there are, and there are probably still too many non-indigenous Australians who still don't care. Even and and I think you're down to what you're saying. It's about the listening thing. And hopefully, once I've heard that story and taken it in that they do actually care. It's not just they go, oh, look, we don't care. Well, okay, move the date. We don't care. By that stage when you've heard the story, everyone should be hearing it and going, actually, I really do care that we change this and we should change this and, and it should never have been that one. And so yeah. – But wouldn't it be ha- nice just to have a date that we all – that we yeah. all, first of all, understood <laughs> why it was that date and yeah. then – and then we all just liked it. Yeah, I know. We're going to end up aggressively agreeing with each other because it just sounds so stupid when you say it like that out loud. Yeah. Anyway, um, so future plans then in this space. I mean, uh, well, before we talk, go back to football in your career, what what, do, what are your future plans in this space where you're also doing, as you said, trying to get that message out? Is it, Do you have anything? You, you briefly mentioned the Fox League thing. So my, my future plans in terms of, uh, look, we're just – we're. Obviously, with with work, what I want to do is obviously just start this new job, keep getting better at being a sideline reporter, keep learning to host and and be a uh, you know learning to host sport, live sport, which is uh, not as easy as it looks. I'll give you a hot tip: like people, you see people like Yvonne <laughs> Sampson, uh, James Bracey, they make it look really, really easy. Uh, it's not. It's really not. Um, just to, to be on it. And then people think, oh, you know, they're reading off water cue and stuff. They're not like when you see they're hosting, they're not reading a single thing. They're just talking. Man, just, the, did you see that video on April Fool's where Bracey pretended to spew and they just cut the JT and they kept J, turned yeah, JT? To, that, to, was, that was great. It yeah. was so great. And then that's a great insert into what do you do when you're just being told that you now host? It's, you know, that wasn't a JT problem. That was anyone in the world would have sat, stood there going, well, um, yep, uh, that game was good. Uh, it was an incredible yeah. insight into how hard, difficult that job is. And so you see the funny thing, like, Brace, like that's Bracey all the time, but like he actually gets thrown situations like that all the time. Uh, like, uh, for example, like I was just talking to uh, Hannah Hollis today and she was on air on the weekend when Bob Fulton passed away. Right. And they had this whole plan of what the show's going to look like. And then in her ear, a producer says, Hannah, while, while she's in mid-conversation, <laughs> yeah. stop talking, just announce right now that Bob Fulton has passed away. Like, out of no, no context, yeah. nothing. Like, she just has – she has trust that her producer has got the right information. She says it. She breaks it on air to the panel that is sitting there and then adapt. Like, like JT, basically thrown in that deep end. Mm. But then you realise how good they are that – they don't have like JD look like a deer in the headlights, you know, like, <laughs> yeah. um, whereas, you know, that would have happened to Bracey, to Vonnie, to Hannah a million times over where something's changed like that. And they've just had to adapt, but you wouldn't have a clue as a viewer because they're just so good at just winging it on the fly. And 
like that's what I mean. That it's it's a, such a hard thing to do. So that's what I'm trying to get better and better at. And you can only really get better by by practicing and learning yeah. and and basically having shit hit the fan. To be yeah. honest, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, it, it kind of bomb proofs you, and you hope that you survive it. Um, and that that's my goal. But then in then I guess longer term is. Uh, I'd like to be able to use whatever profile I get out of rugby league, um, you know, as I progress through the ranks at Fox and, you know, get more airtime and more out there. People see my face more. They might wonder who I am and, and come and follow. And, and, and that, to me, then, is a, an avenue to to continue the work I do with the Refuse to Lose podcast and trying to continually make changes and, and spread a message about Indigenous Australia and what's what I'm passionate about. So uh, I think they go hand in hand. I, I, I work hard at my yeah. job um, to be as good as I can at my job, but the the extra added benefit is with the profile comes the opportunity to make a difference in the space that I want to make a difference. So uh, that's my, my kind of long-term goal at this, at this point. Okay. Now the, I do have to chuck a couple of random questions at you because anyone who's a refuse to lose podcast fan will know that you love chucking them at your guests at the end of it. I know. Um, <clears throat> and, and I am a bit scared about this because I realize it is actually a lot harder ask answering questions than it is asking them. If you could level up any aspect of yourself, what would you improve? That's one of your classics. Mm-hmm. Uh, if I could level up any aspect of myself, I think I would level up, I reckon, my uh, athletic ability, I reckon. I, even I just, now? Like, even, even now, like I just, even just. Uh, Your brother being slightly better at football still burning you to this yeah, day. Yeah, a little of... <laughs> bit, a little bit. No, more, more so like I just wish I, like I, I don't know, could like had one of those hectic capacities to train and stuff. Like I, like I'm all right, but like, you know, I can run 5k. I'd like to be able to run 15, 20, you know, like, and, and just have one of those crazy motors on it. Cause I think that helps you well later in life. Like, I don't know. I'd like to be a little bit less lazy. I think is probably the word <laughs> I'm looking for. Probably, okay. Yeah. Well, the, the correct answer was Reese Walsh's eyes because that man has the most beautiful eyes I don't know what's going on. I don't know if he's putting the eyeshadow on, but he's he's killing it. Now, if you could add one word to the dictionary and a definition, it's another one of your classics, what would it be? Oh, that's tough. Uh, These are your questions. I love that you're getting real I know. I, know. I, probably, I probably should have uh, thought to answer them. Uh, add a word to the dictionary that doesn't exist in there. Um I reckon the uh, a, a classic word that should be in there is the word gammon. Like that's yes. gammon. Yeah, yeah. Like it's a, it's a it's a classic. There's a lot of indigenous words that should probably be in the dictionary, uh, but uh, I think the word like uh, that your gammon, your your gammon cars like just saying uh, if people don't know, it's like you you're whack or yeah you know yeah. you're 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 kind of off. Uh, so I think there's a couple of other indigenous words. Um, probably not appropriate to say, but yeah, but I think add them to the dictionary uh, is is probably the way I'd go. Gammon was introduced to me by a bloke at work about two years ago, and he I have never seen him more happy in his life whenever I try and use it in that context, and so Gammon was a great choice. Yeah. Uh, okay, here's a question. When a ball in, in, a, in a game, when a ball's kicked in the crowd, can we just leave it there with the crowd instead of them throwing it back? Oh, I guess if... 
they just need a lot of balls. I mean, what they kick, they probably kick, kick into the into the crowd probably four, four to ten times a game. Oh, I no, well, if you they can versions as well, man. They're kicking. Yeah, you kick, true. You kick heaps. But come, they're footballs. The thing about kids, think about fans get, getting people back in the game. All the photos that we see on Footy Smiles about you know people getting a jersey or whatever from a player. Then this is just ones where you know, if you kick, if if Jake T kicks the that grand final winning drop goal, there's no way that ball came back into the field. You know, some fan got that and still got it today. Hundred percent, kind of, yeah, that's, that's true the kind of stuff that we could have. You know, there'd be heaps of that. Yeah, good point. Uh, look, I, I don't have a problem with it. I just think uh, the NRL probably will when they're spending <laughs> thousands and thousands of dollars on balls every year. Uh, no, nah, man, because then, see, I've already thought this through. I just realised that I've just set you up so I can just tell you the answer. You put a sponsor on it and they pay for it. And then you've got, you know, schmick in every kid's room in the world or something. Uh, it's not bad. It's, it's already sponsored, I think. I think there's already got Powerade on it or something. So. Yeah, so they pay for the balls then or something. Yeah, <laughs> uh, that's not bad. Not bad, yeah. Well, I can good. get behind that. Now the only thing that the only pushback I've had so far is it would get rid of the ball kids, uh, the people who walk around the side. But they can still do tees, or and, and hear me out here, we get rid of ball kids altogether, and just like Jason Tamalolo's beautiful dog, dogs deliver the the kicking tee. Am I way out of line now? Or? I know. Look, I, I'm I'm all for more dog involvement in Thank rugby you. league, uh, more animal involvement as well. I remember when. Uh, the, the black cat ran yes. on the field at Penrith. Remember Ryan, <laughs> Ryan Perdler, they called it? Uh, <laughs> I forgot the name. Yes, yeah, that was that, great. All as much uh, animal-related stuff as we can, I think. Okay, last one. Is Benji Marshall a chance at being not just a Hall of Famer but actually an immortal? I have this debate all the time with what's the, what's the prerequisite of being an immortal. I mean, there's some – Amazing players, and I think I think the Hall of Fame was brought in just for this reason that there's yep. so many guys that have deserved something, but you want to keep the immortals to what? There's 13 of them now, and how many players have played in the NRL over the course of history? You yeah. know, there's thousands, tens of thousands probably, and you've only got 13 of them. Mm. So I think the absolute upper echelon get it you could probably you could probably argue that benji marshall deserves to be there um but uh, there's so many from this era like it, it, you know you, you have to think that the absolute bankers are jonathan thurston and cameron smith they're they're definite um but from there i mean what are the, what members of that queensland team get in there is, is mm. greg inglis in there mm. Cronk in there darren lockyer um you've got guys like brad fitler uh, as well, and then you get into like guys like Benji Marshall. Um, you know, Benji's played more games from any other Kiwi player ever. Um, mm. You know, he's played for New Zealand. He's won World Cup. He's won a premiership. Um, and one thing that is part of the criteria is that they need to have changed the game. And I just feel like there's one person that people often talk about who has changed the game. It's Benji Marshall. And and most players, even today, Adam Reynolds. Um, and, and other halfbacks, when you ask them who their favourite player is, they even still today say watching Benji Marshall. It's just crazy. That's true. And, and also, if you talk to any young Kiwi kid that plays rugby league now and you say, who was your idol growing up, uh, 95% of them say Benji yeah. Marshall. Yeah, Sean and Johnson they, still says it. Yeah, he still says it. And, yeah. Yeah, and, and, and it's a good point, actually. So, yeah, again, you could make the absolute argument that Benji Marshall could be an immortal. Uh, I, I, it depends which way they go in terms of if they want to 
leave it to the absolute like Benji's up there. It's you couldn't argue against him. You couldn't argue him against him. So I I would have no problem with Benji Marshall being yes. up. Yes, because it felt like a very long polite no, but you came sweeping in with a yes no, at the end. You That's know great. what? I think I started out at no, but the more yeah. I spoke about it, I was like, yeah, and especially for what he's done in the for New Zealand rugby league, I think mm. is the big thing. I think you know all those guys are obviously all. Australian at this point, like, but no one has had a bigger influence on New Zealand rugby league than Benji mm. Marshall. And for that reason alone, I think, yeah, I, I think he probably should be. Got him. Brilliant. Okay, we're there kicking balls into the thing, kid. We've got dogs now delivering kicking tees, and Benji Marshall's the next model. Thanks, Jake. This has been great, mate. Are there any other questions or comments you have before we finish? Oh, I think we've pretty much covered uh, everything um, that, that we wanted to talk about. Uh, Thank you for having me on. It's a it's a pleasure. Uh, Any time that someone takes enough of an interest in in you as a person to talk about you, I think that's pretty pretty cool. So uh, I appreciate that, and I hope I hope people get something out of what I've had to say. And I hope it wasn't all incoherent dribbling. So. <laughs> it certainly wasn't. Thanks. Great. Thanks, mate. Racing Kangaroos is brought to you by Matt Haynes Sport. We are mixed and produced by Paul Murchison. Our theme music was written and recorded by Ash Barco and Ricky Cancino. The podcast is hosted by me, Michael Carboni, and The Biggest Tiger. Views are our own. <laughs>